0: How we doing? All right. Hey, Merry Advent to you, or Happy Advent, Merry Christmas early. It is um, the Sunday of Advent. It is our first um, Sunday of the Christmas season, so we're glad to have you. I know that our worship team is all ready to sing Christmas songs. And uh, no, we're ready to have you here, and we're ready for this Advent season. And I'm I'm glad to be uh, be with you here. My name's Tim Rogers, I'm one of the pastors here at GPC, and uh, I'm just thankful that you're here. And I hope, like any morning, that you invest time here, that there's a return for you of encouragement and kind of renewed hope and vision for your life, in terms of who in the world God is and who we are. In particular, we're starting a new series this morning that will be four weeks, going the four weeks of Advent. And I just want to tell you right away what I want for you not what I want from you, okay? So when you come and when you're here, when you're a part of what we do, this is what I want for you. This is what I hope for you. Very succinctly, if you will, in this one. I just hope, I hope, as we get into a Christmas season, we all kind of know the story of Christmas, right? I mean, it it doesn't change. (laughs) You know the story. I hope, I hope, that you can have a renewed encouragement. You can have an unusual encouragement this year to see two things. The presence, the nearness of God, and then the power that that brings to your life. That, that can turn around and you can serve in a unique way through that. So that's, that's really all I want. I want in the four weeks that you can just be unusually encouraged to see it in a different way of the nearness of God and the power that that brings, and that through your life, then you can respond in service to people because of that. Okay, that's really all I hope for, uh, for this season. So this is why we're even doing an Advent series. This is why we're doing this new series called Unwrapping Christmas, because there's more in the box, if you will. Every year, Christmas, is the story is the same. It doesn't change right. But every year, your circumstances are different, right? Right. It's good. Every year, right? Your circumstances are different, right? You are older this year than last year, right? You need me to remind you of that, right? No, no, no. Your family stage is different, right? You might be going to a different place this year. You might not be going to the same place. There's some joy in that and some sadness in that, depending on what's happening for you. I remember my most drastic difference from year to year in my Christmases early on as a child was going from Barbados to the United States, and the drastic difference it was for me from one Christmas to the next. In the Christmas of 1989, it would have been, we spent New Year's Eve on the beach. <laughs> 85, 90 degrees, temperature, uh, water temperature around 70, whatever, 70 degrees. You could walk out up to your shoulders and still see your toes in the Caribbean Sea where we were, and that's where I, that's all I knew growing up. Every year, I mean, it doesn't change. It just never changed. And then I come back here, 23 degrees, like, what is going on with this place? It's so cold. But there's so many differences. When I came back here, and, and I've shared some of those with you over the course of the years that I've been here, but it, it's telling for today because I remember coming back here to the States. And, and, of course, one of the big things when you come from a country that's not as developed um, to a country like the United States is everything is just bigger. There's just a lot more options. So I get out of the plane, and we have this massive, massive airport. And then we get into this massive, massive car. Uh, my dad had was so excited about this car that we used one year on furlough. It was like an 88 Olds, I believe it was. And um, it, it, it was Big. It was a boat on wheels, right? And it steered like that, like a gradual turn through the corner. And we had an ocean of room in the back seat between my sister and I. It was amazing. This huge trunk to have, like, stack four bodies in the back of the trunk if you wanted to. It was amazing. Compared to, and here's what my dad got to do. He got to stretch his arms for the first time. Because in Barbados, we had, like, a 1985, I think, Nissan Sunny, they called it. yeah. It's like a um, international version of a Sentra, a little Sentra where the, the doors are so thin that if you hit them too hard, they go through the car, like they're just the paper thin doors. And so he's driving this Sentra for a long time on the other side of the road, right? And then we come back and we have power steering, awesome. Air conditioning, awesome. All this room, incredible. I really enjoyed it. And I was just overwhelmed by the size of the roads and the trucks. They were amazing to me as a boy getting there. Um, Seeing the the tractor trailers that you all had here in the States was amazing to me. Um, The dump trucks, which I thought was really cool, that they had covers that would go over the dirt when you're on the road so the dirt doesn't actually fly off into the motorist's face all the time. Like That is amazing. What a concept. Who would have thought of that? But I remember as I, you know, after a while those things kind of become normal for, for you. And, and once you start driving, and, and I went to Peckway Valley and began driving after a little while, then I started noticing things that I didn't notice early on. And one of those things on those big old trucks that I used to you know, look, enjoy looking at is that there's a sticker on these big old 18 wheelers that we all see. And it says, if I can't see, if you can't, hold on, let me start back up. <clears throat> if you can't see my mirrors, what? I can't see you. If you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you. I'm like, yeah, come on, I'm, I'm right here. We you mean you can't see me. It's true, right? If you ever driven truck, there's massive blind spots. If you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you. It's almost as if, if you are not seen, you cease to exist. Right. Ever feel that way? You ever feel that way in more than the car? You ever feel that way? I remember feeling that way as a player on the basketball team at Peckley Valley High School. When I would get subbed out from the game, what I would want to do is I would want to sit near the coach, right? You ever do that as a player? You guys move down, I'm coming, I'm coming in here, coming in here. Why? Because I want to be in the line of sight, for the coach when it comes time for subbing. Because if you've ever been an athlete, you know, if you are out of sight of the coach, you're out of mind for the substitution ring, right? Because if he can't see you, you don't exist in a way. Same thing for musicians, vocalists, those in the play. If you're not in the line of sight, you don't exist. You ever think about it this way when you're trying to date a boy or a girl and you're kind of looking around the room and, you kind of walk in and you realize, ooh, that girl is over there. I want to get in a place where she sees me, right? I I kind of want to nudge, and maybe I'm going to sit at that table here, and I I want to sit over here, and maybe I can at least, if she's not going to see me, I'm going to see her, so I'm sitting at this table, I'm going to kind of move here, Now now I can see her, and I hope she can see me, because I know that if I'm going to exist in her world, she has to see me, right? Because we have this phrase in the English language, out of sight, out of mind. If you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you. You ever feel this way with your boss? You want to get there early because you want your boss to see you working. You don't want your boss to come up on your computer screen or on the job site and see you lazing around because what he sees becomes reality, right? Same thing with the housework. Guys, we know, we know, you don't do the ditches unless your wife sees you. It doesn't count, right? Right? If she doesn't see it, it didn't happen, right? And here's the deal. This is the same way in our relationship with God, right? And here's the struggle with this, is that we serve, we serve an invisible God, right? Right? We, we serve a God who is spirit, an invisible God. And it's almost like if we can't see him, we think he can't see us sometimes. And here's what can happen to us. We can walk through this life. We can walk through the pain of the life that we live. We can walk through the financial turmoil. We can walk through the struggles of a marriage that's fallen apart we can walk through the uncertainties of parenting we can walk through newly married stage and middle age stage and later in life stage and we wonder we wonder we wonder man if i can't see god can he see me and we begin to wonder does god care and then even worse for us does it even matter what i do does, does it really matter I mean, if your boss never showed up to work and he just said, go to work and and you knew he was never coming, there's no accountability, would it even matter if you were there early? Would it even matter? If God can't, God's invisible. If I can't even see his mirrors, does he see me? And here's the thing with Advent, right? Here's the thing with unwrapping Christmas. Is this first week we're into this series? Is this very simple reality that I want to put this way, that just because God is invisible to us doesn't mean that we are invisible to him. Just because God is invisible to us doesn't mean that we are invisible to him. Because God knows this about us, that we need snapped back to reality sometimes, because we can just go and go and go and go and go without stopping to remember that everything everything that we experience right every time when we feel that stress of uncertainty about the medical stuff that we're just wrestling with and I don't know how this is going to be resolved god are you around you're you're invisible you're invisible do you see me cuz i can't see you do you see me where where are you now every Now and then, we need God to remind us and kind of snap us back to this reality. Listen, just because you can't see me doesn't mean that I can't see you. In fact, I see everything. See everything you could ever think, imagine, or do. And so this morning, we're going to get into uh, the Gospel of Luke um, and look at what this uh, looks like in the life of a couple of people, but in particular, this, this girl named Mary. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one near you, we'd be glad. If you don't own a Bible, that you can grab this Bible near you, have it, keep it, own it, it's yours, it's a gift, Uh, Merry Christmas to you, all right? Uh, On that Bible in the pew, it's on page 990, uh, Luke chapter 1, or in the new Bible, there's a newer red Bible near you, it's page 830. So if you turn to page 990, it's not there, try 830. If it's on either one of them, just uh, go home. No, I'm just kidding. Don't go home. Um, you can find it. Luke chapter 1, and uh, this is where we're going to land. Now, before we land there in Luke chapter 1, now that you're set in Luke, I'm, I want to show you up on the screen here something that will lead into Luke chapter 1 uh, because it's, it's important for us to understand uh, where Luke chapter 1 opens. Okay, This is now, now that you have that there, let's just look here at the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament in order in your Old Testament books. And also, chronologically, it is the latest book in the Old Testament. It's the, from our perspective, be the newest one. It's the last one published, okay? Malachi. And here are the last words. Here's the last words of the Old Testament. And here's what they are, the last two verses. God is speaking through the prophet. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land where they curse. The end. Boom. And then everyone is dismissed for 400 years of silence. God does not speak again through a prophet, he does not speak again through an angelic messenger. He does not speak again in that kind of special way, check it out now, for, for 400 years. Now think about that, 400 years. I did the math on this because I'm really, really good at math. That would be about 16 generations. Okay, So think about it this way. This would be as if the last person to have been alive when God spoke specifically like this, would have been if you were living at the time of Luke. Now, would have been your dad's 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 dad. Impressive, isn't that impressive? That amazing. You know who that person is in your family line. Do you even know five generations up? How about ten generations up? If you happen to be lucky. We're talking 400 years. Now check out, here's, here's what that means. For 400 years, think about it this way. People like you and like me lived and died. Had entire existences, had entire families, had homes, had dreams, had babies, had those little babies grow up in their homes and spanked them and loved them and wondered, why did we have kids? Oh, this is why we have kids. And then wondered, are they going to make it to college? Are they going to get a job? Or they're sick and I wish they weren't sick and bad things are happening and I'm sick and why am I sick, God? And I don't understand what you're doing in my life and my marriage is falling apart and my husband cheated and my wife cheated and I have to go to work a lot and he's not home a lot and he watches TV too much. Maybe not that part, but all of, all of the same things, all of the same things, that we wrestle with, and we wonder, God, 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 speak to me here on this, okay? Give me something here. Do you see me? Silence. For millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of lives lived and died between the Old Testament and the New. And God is silent. And it's almost as if, almost as if, you can almost imagine the feeling of, God, do you care? And God, does it even matter what I do? You're pretty invisible to me, and God, I'm kind of wondering if my life is just invisible to you. And so it's in that context of 400 years of silence that Luke cracks the door again to God speaking to humanity. This is the first time in 400 years God will speak this clearly, this specifically. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no kids, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Pause. Let's set this up for you. Zechariah, right? Godly man, right? Part of uh, the priesthood, and he, this was his job to go in and burn incense in the temple and to lead the people in worship, right? And yet, and yet, his wife is barren, can't have kids. Some of you have felt that very Personally. Many of you have known that pain of other people. That is, a, that is a incredibly, can be an incredibly devastating thing for people, especially for women to process, is why in the world can't this happen, God? Are you silent? Why are you silent now? Is my pain invisible to you? And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, you can imagine a priest, um, has been praying about this, as, as you would. Been praying about it. Man, God, what are you going to do? Help me. What are you going to do? And so Zechariah comes, and it becomes his turn. His, he's part of a division, almost like a section or a group of priests. They rotate through to, um, to see whose turn it is to go in to lead the people in worship. And the group of people, you know, 10, 12, 20, whatever the division is, um, There's so many divisions that your division rarely even gets called into this kind of service. And then within your division, that your division would even be chosen to do this. And then within that, that you would get chosen to do this becomes almost, and here's what we we have a hard time conceiving, this is almost a a once-in-a-lifetime event for Zechariah. Maybe maybe twice if he's, quote-unquote, lucky, if the lot falls on him. But this is not something he does every Friday, okay? This is something that is a, an incredibly unique moment for Zechariah, and so Zechariah, a priest, he's walking in this very special moment. And now, keep in mind, we kind of know kind of generally what's going to happen, but Zechariah has been leading people in worship for so long, and he has check this out now he is he has never heard from God in this way before. God has been silent silent. Zechariah comes in and begins to to go through this process. And verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is our first sighting, our first instance of God coming into the picture for 400 years. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. Well, yeah. And gripped with fear, like, this doesn't happen. No one ever told me about this. Is this like the hazing of the new guy? I mean, come on, give me some warning. There's an angel? Okay, I'm gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, hey, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Huh. You mean the prayer that I've been praying for a long time, for years and years and years, and it seems like it hasn't been heard? You mean that prayer that I've been kind of wishing was going to be done and wasn't done for a long time? People said, it's ever going to happen, give up. You mean that prayer? Yeah, that that prayer, Zechariah, that your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And then check out verse 17. And, and as you do, think about the words of Malachi that have been ringing through the generation after generation after generation. Here is verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of who? Who? Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to who? Who? Their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this angel comes and he says, He says to Zechariah, Hey, remember 400 years ago? This old guy named Malachi. God spoke through him. I know it's been a long time, Zechariah, since God has spoken this way. And I know you felt like we haven't been paying attention to you. I know that you felt like if you can't see us, we can't see you. It's, It's not true. We know it all. God hears your prayers, by the way. The time is now. That guy, Elijah, your son, John, he'll come in the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. By the way, Zechariah, as you can imagine, is like, what? Verse 18, he asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. Come on, now my wife is well along in years. Seriously, you're really going to answer my prayer? like, I'm not ready for you to answer my prayer. I know I've been wanting you to answer my prayer, but not like this, not now. angel said, uh, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. Just a reminder, I, I'm Gabriel. Right? I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So essentially now Zechariah responds to that, and he's like, listen, I don't know if that's true and Gabriel's like, yeah, it's true, just a reminder, I'm Gabriel, all right, God sent me here, just, I'm Gabriel, okay? Um, and so he's, he's sentenced to be mute for, um, for the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, some of us wish we had the power of Gabriel to mute people for some time, right? That wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, that's what duct tape is for. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not really kidding, but no, I am kidding. And so for nine months, Zechariah is mute and he's not able to speak, and he has to actually write down the name of his son when, when um, they're talking about, what should we name this kid? And they went to Barnes and & Noble and looked at the baby books like we did, and they couldn't find a good one. And, and then you know, Elizabeth was saying, how about this? And, and the family's saying, how about that? And then he writes down, his name will be John. Like what? Like that's not in the book, anymore. what's not in your family? What are you talking about? Yep, his name will be John. All right, his name is John, and then he begins to speak, and little John is born, and that's a, that's a great time. Now, after this moment, though, with Zechariah in the in the uh, temple, there, we we fast forward about five months, and we enter the life of this girl named Mary. Verses twenty six and twenty seven of Luke chapter one. In the sixth month. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Okay, Gabriel, you're done where you were there. Let's move over to Nazareth. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are, are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, what I'd like to do is unpack with you what just happened. Because this is actually all I want to talk about this morning. In the sixth month... God what? What does the text say? In the six month God what? sent, right? The six month God sent. Okay. Now, a little Bible study tip for you. When you're reading the Bible and you see that's a verb, okay? That's a word that moves the action of the text forward. That's an active verb, not a passive verb. Not God was sent or was sent by, but God sent. Okay? You didn't come here for an English lesson, but you got one just now. God sent. And here's the power of that. God is the active one. No one had to wake him up and say, God, listen, remember that whole Messiah thing you were about to do earlier? Did you forget about that? Because you might need to get going on that sending the Messiah thing. Can you kind of move? It's been a long time. In the sixth month, almost as if God had this planned, God sent the angel Gabriel. He sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. What do you know about Nazareth? Nothing. You know why you don't know anything? I mean, you know that's kind of where Jesus was, um, where, where this happened. You know nothing about Nazareth. Why? Because Nazareth, Nazareth is almost like a nothing town. Let that sink in you for a minute, okay? Here's the Messiah. Here's the hope of humanity. Here's the, the hope of the world. Here's what God, the, the maker of heaven and earth, has, has set in place before all of time began, that there will be a Messiah and his idea of doing this is let's go to a town that has maybe 500 people in it to start this. Maybe. That's known for nothing. And in that town of nothing, let's go to a virgin who is pledged to be married. Now here's what we know. Roman law would say that if you're a girl, your minimum age You could be betrothed, in other words, you could be promised to be married, engaged, okay, engaged by the age of 10, 10. The minimum age for marriage is 12, for guys it's 14. And so what happens here is when you get betrothed, when you get engaged, it's very different than right now. It's very different than right now. Right now, engagement is fairly binding, but we all know people who have broken off engagements. Not so in this time. It, once you get engaged, the, the um, father of the bride gives the, um, the groom-to-be, if you will, um, a bride price, okay? Gives them some things to help them get going. And then they write up a little deed. They write up a contract. I will marry your daughter. You will marry my daughter. Amen. Okay, sign it all. Everybody sign it. Cool. then we get that that thing signed, and uh, then for a year, then the girl will live at home with mom and dad while she gets ready to be married. And they will not have relations at all until the day of the wedding. And then finally, they will physically consummate that marriage together on that night. And that wedding night then becomes the final, you are married. But the only way to break off this engagement period is either by death or by official divorce. You'd be considered divorced if you broke off an engagement in this time. One of the advantages of that for the the, uh, parents is that the parents can guarantee um, the purity of their daughter easier when they're coming right out of puberty rather than any other time and the husband gets the services of his wife for a longer period of time okay just kind of the way that it is might seem a little earthy to us it's just reality the way it was and this became the jewish way of doing things as well so we have now check this out we have like a preteen girl in the middle of nowhere as the recipient of the most transformative message of all time You have have maybe a 12-year-old girl. Maybe, maybe, okay, maybe she's 13. That makes you feel better. Maybe. And God God comes to her to bring this message. Not just a message, but rather, you are going to carry the Messiah. The hope of the world is coming through you. Now process that for a minute. Do you you ever feel like, God, you don't know what's going on in my life. You you don't know the things that are happening here. It's it's just such a small place. I'm so insignificant. I mean, I I don't have the things that other people have. I don't even live in a big city. I mean, I don't have the money other people have, and I don't have the the resources other people have, and how in the world can you? You know all the people around all the world. Why would you choose to care about me? Because I don't have much. Mary and Joseph need to be introduced to the audience of Luke. Hey, just so you know, this is where they came from, Nazareth. Who would have thought they came from Nazareth? You don't know who in the world they are. We need to introduce them to you. It's Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. Who? Mary Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. Where's Nazareth? Oh, it's a little town in Galilee. Oh, Oh, that's where it is. People don't even know where this place is. And here's little Mary and Joseph. Oh, yeah, Joseph, by the way, he's from the line of David. That's kind of important, too. And God chooses them. Have you ever felt like that? And God, seriously, do you know, I mean, do you know really everything, everything, everything? You, you understand? You're telling me that you, even though I don't see you, you know me? Even though I can't see you, come on, you know you know about the money that I'm not making right now that I thought I was going to make? Really? You know, do you really know about what I worry about as a mom when I put my head down on the pillow at night? Do you really know that about my kid that I know about, that even my husband doesn't know about? Do you know that? Do you even know, do you really know the things that my husband, my wife, and I have not talked about yet that's in between our marriage that we haven't said anything about? I mean, do you, are you saying that that those little obscure things that seemingly insignificant moments, you actually know about that? I mean, you, you know that I really want to get married, and I can't, and I don't know why, and I don't think I'll ever date anybody again, maybe and I really want to. You mean you know that the desire of my heart for that, and you know why it didn't work out the first time, and, and you know, do you I mean, you really know that we want to have kids, and we can't, and we would just wish our kids were different, and I just stress about that all the time. I mean, you know of all the things in the world that you have to worry about, seriously. You're concerned about my kids in this little home, in this little place. Really, you care, you care about that? I mean, my health, God, do you, do you really know? Do you really feel and do you know the, the pain that I'm going through right now? I, I, I don't know when this will end, and I don't know when this is going to end for my kids. I, I don't know when I'm going to get through this health thing. I mean, you know about all of that? I mean, I can't see you, God. Can you really see me? Do I exist when I can't see you in your world? And here's the message. Even though we're invisible, God is invisible to us, we're not invisible to him. And isn't this the essence of faith? In Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews writes this, he says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what is invisible. Certain of what we do not see. I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it. And you're, to be honest, you're, the odds of you striking it rich on the Powerball this past week were greater. You had a better chance of winning the Powerball than you have the chance of hearing Gabriel come to your bedside. Right? You, you and me are probably not going to have a visit from the angel Gabriel. I'm just going to, Go out on a pretty strong limb on that one, okay? And so if that is reality, if God is going to choose not to intervene in my life and your life in that specific way when I really want him to. For years I've been praying, Zechariah and Elizabeth, for years they've been praying that we want to have kids, we want to have kids, and God was silent even before them. For generation upon generation upon generation upon generation of people lived and died, and God did not intervene in their life. Do you still care, God? Am I visible to you when you're invisible to me? And the message of Christmas begins with this reality, a preteen girl, come on now, a 12 or 13-year-old girl in the middle of nowhere that God sees and knows, sends the angel Gabriel there. Give her the message. The message is, I know every story. I care about every person. Psalm 139, Ecclesiastes 12, Hebrews 13, these great passages that remind us every thought that's in your mind, God knows. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Where can I go from your presence? Ecclesiastes 12 reminds us that enjoy your days. Just remember that everything, including uh, Solomon Wright, including every hidden thing is known by God. Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 talks about this reality that um, never will you leave me, never will you forsake me, therefore I have confidence in you. I have confidence in you that just because God is invisible to me me, doesn't mean that I'm invisible to you. To him. Just because God is invisible to me doesn't mean that I'm invisible to him. Imagine what it would be like. Imagine what it would be like if you could take the anchor of your faith, okay? If you could take the anchor of your faith and you could drop it deep into the sovereignty of God, that is deep into the knowledge that he knows everything. He sees everything that I see, he sees it. He knows that if you could drop that anchor deep into the sovereign, mysterious, hidden character of God and live your life with this quiet confidence that even though the angel Gabriel is probably not going to visit you, even though God may not and will likely not intervene in the same way that he did with Mary or Zechariah, it is very unlikely that you will probably live and die like the mass of billions of people have without a special intervention from God. That even though you can't see him, he sees you. That is very hard to believe sometimes. Because, come on, you see me, God, then why don't you care? Why don't you intervene? He says, I have. I have. And his name is Jesus little baby born in this season, who's entered your world, who's entered humanity, and empathizes with you. He feels everything you have, and he knows you. I have intervened, and I love you, and I know you, and I know you, and I know what's happening in your world. Trust me. Trust me. Even though God is visible to us, everything about us is very, very visible to him. And he knows you and he loves you. Unwrapping Christmas. There's more in the box than you think. Next week, Mary and her response to God. What that teaches us about how we see our Savior. Let's pray together. Our good God and our heavenly Father, we thank you that even though we walk through life with great uncertainty sometimes, even though we walk through, we just feel like we can't see very far ahead. There's so many things that are unknown. We will rest. We want to choose to drop our anchor in the sovereign your sovereign knowledge, that you know everything about us and that you love us. Father, we thank you for, as we begin this Christmas season, and we think about gifts and where we're eating and whose homes we're going to and what we're going to do with this and that, that that you would remind us again as we kind of unwrap this Christmas season that it's all because of Jesus that we're here. It's all because of this announcement to Mary that we're even alive. And it's all because of you that we have hope at all. We thank you for intervening. We thank you for coming to our world to walk among us and to remind us that even though you're invisible to us, we are not invisible to you.